So um, in the United Methodist Church, when you discern a call into ministry, uh, when you become a candidate, you are given a candidacy mentor. You know, this is someone who's already an ordained elder or deacon or uh, someone in the process who kind of helps you along, especially in that first uh, couple of years. And, you know, you talk through things, you you start to get to know the book of discipline and theology and things like that. And this mentor kind of helps you through that. And so my very first candidacy, candidacy mentor, I would meet with him once a month and I would have all of these questions. You know, how do you do this and how do you do this? And his answer was always just love him. I was like, yeah, but, you know, how do you how do you how do you make a balance sheet? And, you know, what what if they don't have this document? Just love them. Yeah, yeah, I know that. But I mean, what And he would just say every single time, just just love them. And I, and I would say, so are you telling me that I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars a year to go to seminary and, you know, seven years of my life and filling out all these forms just to love people? He's like, yeah, pretty much. Love one another as I have loved you. No, I mean, come on. I mean, I'll do the discipline stuff, you know, I'll, I'll have a prayer time and I'll, and I'll read my Bible. I'll go to mission trips and I'll sit through committee meetings and I'll, and I'll give my tithe, you know, and I'll do all of this. But love, I mean, that's, that seems to be at times the hardest thing to do, but it's the thing that we say all the time, right? We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to act in love, but love each other. What does that mean? And again, we, we may have different ideas of what it means to love each other. Certainly in the ancient Hebrew, ancient Greek languages, there are many different words for love. So for us in English, we just have the one love, which, you know, is supposed to encompass all things that, you know, the Greeks at, at least understood that there are different forms of love and thus you should put different words to them. We don't even really have that. So not only are we of different minds when it comes to love, but I mean, let's be honest, we're of different minds about many different things. We are, we are of different minds. We are of different perspectives. We are of different values, different ethics. We are of different life experiences. So how do we live in the midst of all of those differences? Are we even aware of all of the differences that we have as a community, as a church? And what might be helpful is, so, you know, this command, love, love one another, it comes from John, the gospel of John, the um, 30, I lost my notes, the 13th chapter. There we go. It's verse 34, 35. So this is beginning, you know, leading up to, to Jesus's crucifixion. He's having the last meal with his disciples in the, in the version of John, he begins first by washing the disciples feet. He washes their feet and then he offers communion to everyone who's in the room, including Judas. And it's to all of these people that he says, love one another. Before he gives the command, he lives the command by offering himself so much so to the point that he takes out his armor Uh, outer garment and he wraps it around himself as a towel and he kneels before his disciples and of course 
many of us probably remember the response of Peter, who many ways acts as the microphone for humanity. You will not wash my feet. I don't like feet. My family will tell you I will I wear shoes all the time. This is one of the only, well, one of the few aspects of Florida that I have not embraced, which is walking around barefoot. I don't do it. And in the years, I have not only broken my toe, I've also broken one of my metatarsals, which is that little uh, bone that sort of is out, kind of sticks out of your foot anyway. Well, since I broke it, it sticks out even more. So I don't like to walk barefoot anymore. So I get when Peter says, you will not wash my feet, because feet are like, I don't, I don't do it. And, and it's very intimate. So the idea that Jesus, their teacher, their, their Lord, right? Their Messiah kneels down half naked and starts rubbing water on people's dirty feet. Peter's like, I I can't do that. That's too much. It is too much because not only is it a barrier for Peter to say to Jesus, you will not love me like that. I mean, you're not going to love me that deeply that closely, that intimately. But what Peter is also saying is, I'm not going to love others that way. I, I, can't, I can't receive it, and I can't give it. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not ready. Comedian Patton Oswald, in one of his stand-ups, talks about the time that Jesus was in. And a time, and of course, he's being a comedian, he's being metaphorical, but a time when people didn't really care about each other. That if you saw someone suffering in the street, it was normal not really to do anything, right? I mean, certainly we remember that from the Good Samaritan story. People would just kind of pass you by. And it wasn't just for religious reasons, but it was just like, hey, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's a hard world. And Patton says, but then here comes Jesus. And he, he's actually nice to people. And, and, you know, he, he notices them and he does stuff and he teaches others to do that as well. Here comes someone who shows empathy and compassion for the other, capital O. This is part of Jesus's revolution. Social, political, divine. Because if you think about it, Jesus's way does not make sense. It doesn't make sense in a culture that says, go big or go home. You work for what you get. Don't cry, get even. 2,000 years later, on the other side of the planet, Jesus' message continues to not make sense. It is not logical. Logic says, in the words of Spock, The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So the movie Star Trek Into Darkness, it takes kind of a similar uh, storyline to the famous sequel, uh, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. Arguably the greatest Star Trek movie of all time. And part of what makes it so great is the relationship, the friendship between Kirk and Spock in the first one. Now, in the first in the first Star Trek, like Kirk and Spock are just friends, like they automatically start as friends. You don't really know why. Um, But in the in the next generation with 
this crew, you start to see that Kirk and Spock don't really get along at first. They're very different. They're very opposite. By the second movie, Into Darkness, the, the beginning of the film is that they are trying to save this planet. And part of their um, uh, prime directive is with certain planets, you can't let them know that you exist yet. They're just they're not at that point. And so Spock is trying to save this planet um, and he knows it's going to cost him his life. And he says to Kirk, he says, don't you don't come down for me because you can't disrupt the prime directive. And of course, that's exactly what Kirk does. He, he breaks literally all of the rules so that he can save Spock. And so throughout the movie, there's this tension, this argument between the two of them that Kirk is just frustrated that Spock doesn't understand why he would do this. And so in this beautiful role reversal. Because in Wrath of Khan, it's Spock who sacrifices his life to save the Enterprise. He has to go in the warp core and fix the engine. He's exposed to massive amounts of radiation. And into darkness, the roles are reversed. In fact, they say at one point, this is exactly what you would have done. And Kirk says, well, this is exactly what you would have done. And as Kirk is dying, he says, it's a guy thing. I get choked up every time I think about it. Kirk says, I want you to know why I went back for you. Why I couldn't let you die. And Spock already knows. And he says it. Because you are my friend. It is illogical in our culture to give aid to our enemy. It is illogical in our culture to offer everyone the exact same wage, regardless for how much or how long they have worked. It is illogical for a wealthy landowner to stand out in the outer regions of of their field while their entire business goes ignored and unoccupied, just standing there waiting in the hopes that their lost child is going to come back. It is illogical to leave 99 just to find the one. It is illogical for a leader to kneel down before their students in such a profound, human, vulnerable way. But this is exactly what Jesus does. And this is exactly what Jesus says. I now call you friends. I do this. Because you are my friend. What does it mean to love each other? It means listening to each other. It means looking at each other directly in the face, in the eye. It means allowing each other's perspectives to impact us. Not necessarily change us. Not necessarily change our own mind or our own point of view but to change us so that at the very least we have a better understanding of each other. And I know sometimes that's hard. It's it's hard to disagree. It can even and I know it can even be hard to disagree with the pastor who's ever standing up and giving this, this message. And I've slowly been having these conversations with some of you. Some have come to me and said, "You know, I just I can't sit on this anymore. I don't agree with what you said." whether it has to do with human sexuality or anything. 
And so we will talk and we will, you, you know, usually go out for coffee. We'll have conversations. We'll talk about our own points of view. And every single time they have said, I appreciate that you have not tried to change my mind. That's not what we do. I don't even think it's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus did not force anyone to change. He offered a path, a way, a truth, and a life. And he allowed people to make their own decision. And sometimes people would follow. Sometimes people would not. Sometimes people would follow, but they would follow at a distance. And sometimes that gap would get wider and wider and wider. And then sometimes people would stop. And then they would start again. And then they would stop. And they would start again. But Jesus kept going forward. And he kept loving them. It's not easy. It's not logical. It's not popular. It's not rewarding. So why in the world would we do it? Why should we do it? It's so hard. It's so countercultural. It's so costly. What's the point? In the movie Finding Dory, Dory begins a search for her parents. Now, Dory is a fish who suffers from memory loss. Immediately as she encounters something or experiences it or learns it, she oftentimes forgets it. And in the midst of this life, in the, of a life constantly forgetting, she is on a search for her parents. And she has no idea where to start, but slowly, slowly, bit by bit, she, she begins finding clues and she finds direction until she makes and has this experience. Let's see what happens. have gotten out through through the pipes. Through the pipes? That's right, sweetie. So, and so we did too. And we stayed in this spot 
for you ever since. Because, because we thought you might come back. So every day we go out and lay out shells. And you found us. Oh, honey. You found us, and you know why you found us? Because you remembered. You remembered in your own amazing, dory way. When that lost child not only finds their way back, but discovers that their parent has been waiting for them the whole time. When that one who has been lost, even in the midst of the 99, that lost sheep sees those hands coming down and picking them up and bringing them back to the community, to the family, to the church. When that lone woman goes to the well on the hottest part of the day because she's been ostracized by her community and she sees that someone is sitting there willing to talk with her, willing to see her and to listen. When the person who is blind hears someone walk up to them and feels their hands placed upon their face, the the, the first human contact that they have probably had in years and is able to see When enemies become friends, when we remember, when we remember that we can be better, when we remember that we are better, that God created us to be better and has always seen us as better, better than we've seen ourselves, that is the firm foundation. When we remember our foundation, that is when we change. And when we set all that other stuff down, that stuff which has caused us to see neighbors as strangers instead of friends. When we're able to see ourselves as people of value instead of unworthy, when we're able to love one another as Jesus loved us. Because we are able to see one another as Jesus sees us. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's why we do it. We do it because Jesus has done it with us. So I know from firsthand experience, it can seem a little frustrating when we're asking, you know, what what can we do? How can we help? You know, what direction? And the response that we get is, you know what? Just love them. But I'm here to say, just love them. The difference is when we actually live into that possibility, that's when the ideas come up. That's when the tangible examples, how can I love this person in this way? Certainly as we are gearing up for the potential of Hurricane Ian, and certainly as we are trying to help um, Puerto Rico and Canada uh, in the wake of Hurricane Fiona, there are many different ways that we can help. But if the DNA of that first and foremost is just love, love one another as I have loved you, everything else will fall into place. That is who we have been called to be and how we have been re-energized now as God's people, as Jesus' disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. And so 
May we go in peace and go in love. Amen.